Hello and welcome to The Gaily Planet, a podcast where two queer nerds talk about media we love. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I'm Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about the second half of the book, The Golden Compass or The Northern Lights. And if you didn't listen to the first part of the episode, that's the first half of the book, you should definitely go check that out. But, you know, you can also do you if you just want to jump right in. <laughs> Yes, and today's episode is only half of our discussion about the second half of the book because we talked for two entire hours. So you will hear three of our six segments today and then the other three in two weeks. So, yeah. Yay. Yay. But before we do that, I have to say all of the things that I forgot to say at the beginning of the last episode, but I wrote it down so I'd remember this time. One, we're spoiling the rest of the series, but not the show, or the Books of Dust. Two, there will be content notes with timestamps, if necessary or possible, in the show notes. Three, you know what? I think it's time to announce our summer programming because this comes out on, like, May 2nd or something. Yay! So, drum roll. We're doing summer camp. Camp in all caps. Twinkle, twinkle. The emphasis is on camp because what that means is that all summer long, we're going to be talking about our favorite campy movies and it's going to be the funnest. It's going to be so great. So uh, break out your scout set. No, that's not the right thing. I mean, I feel like you could make a, a scout outfit pretty fucking campy if you wanted to. This is true. I mean, I love a, I love a queer riff on summer camp. Some little sh- little tan short shirts. It's going to be great. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, and last of all, thank you so much to all of our patrons. We love you a lot. Um, you make this possible. This is me and Jesse's both full-time only jobs, and we cannot thank you enough for making that true. All right. So, summary... In the second half of The Golden Compass, we learn that the gobblers are severing kids from their demons in a truly diabolical attempt to save them from quote-unquote sin. Lyra and her crew rescue all the kids and blow up Bullvanger. Rust in ashes, fuckers. Run now! Yeah, that too. Um, then she helps Yorick Bernison reclaim his throne and heads off to see Azriel and give him the alethiometer, only he doesn't want the alethiometer. He wants her friend Roger because he needs to sever a kid in order to rip a hole between the worlds so that he can go destroy dust in a different way than the church wants to, which he does leave to do that, not destroy dust. And then Lyra and Pan are like, if all the adults hate dust so much, the only logical conclusion is that dust is good, actually. So they follow <laughs> Azrael into the city in the sky on a mission to save dust before any of these fuckhead adults can ruin everything. The end. And now, today's headline. Exclusive. Witches are high femme anti-capitalist punks. Hell yeah, they are. Okay, we're going to start things off with the front page, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. Um, I to start off with, what is cooler than an armored bear 
being adopted by an armored bear. That, that's it. Truly. Awesome. <sighs> Lyra has just more dads than any child has ever had. And <laughs> such a such a diverse offering of dads. Um, weirdly, most of them really fucking fantastic. And then one garbage dad. I mean, I feel like like so many folks, the garbage dad is the bio dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I know. So, uh, a friend of the pod, her dark material, they have a sticker sheet of uh, Yurik, and one of them just says Bear Dad, and I'm like, yes. Yeah. Excellent. I have to say that it's, like, hysterical how unsubtle the golden monkey is in Lyra's presence. Just, I feel like in a lot of the times when Miss Coulter is with other people, her and the demon, her and the golden monkey are masking that they're like a together person. And with Lyra, it's just like, oh no, you're just a fucking piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that demons seem to serve as a tell in this world. Like, I feel like they probably, well, we actually see people playing cards, but I'm like, people must be awful at poker if they have a demon that can give them away in this world, you know? You yeah, probably, you... yeah, the best poker players have bug demons, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, hell yeah. Right, yeah. And I think I was also thinking about it where I'm just like, yeah, like Mrs. Coulter's already trying to hide this like incredibly vicious, cruel side of herself that is already like people can see, but it's like, look at this beautiful golden monkey. The golden monkey is like a literal terror. And it's like, yeah, "Mm, yeah, wow. How much are you repressing Marisa Coulter in order for your demon to be like this? I think a lot. (laughs) Yeah, so much. Um, I, again, really like that Lyra feels more like an actual child than I think any other YA hero I've read. And I think that's really beautifully illustrated in the scene where she's been, they're going to find Tony and she's riding on Yorick's back and she finally like gets the hang of it. And it's like, they're like bounding through the snow and the Aurora was overhead. And then it just says she was riding a bear exclamation mark. And you're like, yeah, cause you're yeah. fucking 11 and you're riding a bear. And I don't know. Harry Potter would never just be like stoked to be riding a bear, you know? Yeah. And again, I think uh, there's just nothing fucking cooler than riding a fucking bear. Like this is so like, I don't know. I'm I'm excited about this still where I'm like, yeah. it's so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah. And I think that like Lyra's ability to still have childlike wonder when all of these terrible things are happening is amazing and impressive and so and it's real you Mm -hmm. know when you remember back on being a kid i mean it just feels very relatable to me that she can switch from oh my god i'm riding a bear to fuck you fish fish shed owner guy like i should have my bear eat you because you're doing something immoral and then like you know because because your emotions are so just present when you're a child and you're able to live so much more in the moment, even when things are 
really bad, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it just, it just doesn't feel like any sort of weird grown up sensibilities have been forced onto Lyra as a character the way that I think most child characters that I've read at least have, you know? Yeah. And I wonder if part of it is because Phil Pullman like was a teacher and like, I guess I don't know how the ages of the people that he was teaching, but I'm kind of like, I think that if you have experience with children, like not just maybe your own children, that you get a better sense of just like sort of the, you just get a better sense of like what children are actually like, which is often just like sort of, yeah, I think you're like, like a more like presence than, than you have like when you're an adult thinking about what children are doing. Yeah. And I, I think that's actually spot on as someone who does not have kids, but works with kids as my primary job for like 15 years of my, you know, teenager and adult life. I feel like probably you have to, as a parent, the way that you remember being a child has to shift when you have your own kids for some reason. But I feel like, I don't know, when I would be taking care of, you know, two, three, four-year-olds who were having a meltdown, it was just really easy for me to be like, yeah, this is the biggest deal in the world to you. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to you that I, like your ladybug costume is in the washer so you can't wear it when we go to the museum today it is terrible i i believe you and honor that like i need you to go away from me while you're screaming about it because that's too loud (laughs) but like you can you can like cry it out man that is awful um but i got to go home at the end of the day you know i think that's part of it is being able to not be around it 24 7 and yeah, that feels that feels really true. Yeah, the the that sort of like the kinds of exposure that you can have to children, I think, probably makes a huge difference in the way that you're able to like create a character. Yeah. Um, I love the bit where it's Lyra's whole like her plan to get the kids out of Bullfanger is like Chef's kiss. That was excellent. But the part where she's like, oh, crap, all the kids are like losing steam because they're wearing this like plastic ass coats. And Mm -hmm. I'm like wearing like the most disgusting, smelly fur coat. But I am like so warm. I can just be out doing my business in the world. But everyone else is flagging. I'm just like, that feels also very real. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like they're all wearing like. Yeah, polyester fill. Mm hmm. So when Lyra goes in the room and finds all of the severed demons in their cages, the description of them, the only thing that I could imagine is all of the souls in bottles in Ursula's cave. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I realize up and literally every time I've read or listened to this book up until this past, the read for this, I always imagined those as I always imagine those demons being transparent almost like they're on the edge of death, which I think quite a few of them are, but I think that it's actually that 
they're just like actually just drained of color, mm-hmm. you know, and as solid as like pantalimon, but just ghost white from shock from the shock of it all. Yeah, I think that's true. Which is somehow worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just my um. I had these little neon tetras, and they suddenly all got some sort of Victorian wasting disease. And they're like see-through fish, but they have this bright line of like iridescent orange-blue. And as they got sicker, it like, it just like faded away until they were just sort of like see-through and gray. Like it was like a bar of their life force, like in a video game. Yeah. <laughs> and that's um, now that the way that you describe it just makes me think of that, where it just sort of whatever color denotes their life force has just ebbed away. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucked up. Is that my turn or your turn? It's your turn. Um, what What is also funny is Lee Scoresby trying to talk to Serafina Pecola to be like, uh, I actually need someone to cash at me for this, this journey. Cause now we're just going outside of the parameters of what we signed up for. And it's really funny. Cause my dude, which is literally do not care about money. They, they don't have money. <laughs> they could give zero fucks about capitalism. They're hashtag mutual aid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, how are you going to keep going about getting paid? Because my dude, you're not getting paid by the witches. <laughs> he knows that, you know, he had a witch lover for a time. I kind of feel it though. It felt the conversation that he was having felt a lot like conversations that you and I have had about the fact that we have to get paid to do this because we have to live in a capitalist society. And I kind of feel like he was just being honest about the fact that he's like, we live under capitalism and I only got paid for a week. And I, as much as I might want to help, this is the reality of my situation. Yeah. He's like, we all can't just break off a, a twig off of a tree and fly. Like I have to put air. I have to put heat, whatever helium. Yeah, no gas, gas, hydrogen, hydrogen gas in my balloon. Yeah, so. I have to buy food. I have to, you know, pay for lodging. And you're the in chargest person in this balloon right now. So please tell me, how are we going to make this happen? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Poor Lee. I know. <laughs> I know. Someone please just get him a cat. Like, get, get his Venmo. Give him some money. Yeah. And also, <laughs> I mean, witches don't care about capitalism. Go rob a bank. You're a fucking witch. <laughs> Rob a bank, give Lee Scoresby the money, you can take care of this. More or, well, I was going to say rob the church, because fuck them. Uh, Magisterium, I'm sure, is dripping with money. I'm sure they own the banks in this world, though. That actually connects to my next thing, but we'll do that after you go. Okay, well, so speaking of this conversation with Lee Scoresby, we get a very um, similar yet different version of the playground sticks and stones taunt here where his version is sticks and stones i'll break your bones but names ain't worth a quarrel and honestly i'm for it let's change it no more may break my bones now it's i'll break your fucking bones throw a stick at me see what happens lee 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 scoresby is an ally 
Hashtag ally. I love him for that. Um, speaking of our friend Lee Scoresby, he mentions that he banks with Wells Fargo. And I'm like, how does Wells Fargo exist in this universe? Like, like forget the Magisterium. How are they crossing worlds? I like it because I feel like Listen, my information about this, I believe, is based almost entirely in musicals that I watched as a child. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure that Wells Fargo was like the first bank in the U.S., you know, once it had sort of settled, settled down or whatever, post uh, England separation. And obviously that all went really differently in this world, given that Texas is a country and all that. But it feels very it feels very quaint because if this is the 90s the 1990s in this world that feels like a good anachronism to me to be like this bank that was sort of the bank and maybe the like 20s and 30s is still the bank yeah in lee's version of you know not the u.s whatever yeah Whatever five countries make up what was the U.S. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. My last thing. Uh, Asriel is imprisoned, quote unquote, in a way that is very similar to the way that I was grounded as a child. (laughs) (laughs) I may be unable to leave my room, but under no circumstances does that mean that my friends can't visit me in my room what are you talking about? And then you just be so impetuous that the people that are jailing you are like, fucking fine. Which is basically how my mom responded to everything that I did as a kid, which explains a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like how it's just like, yeah, he was in prison, but he had like pane glass windows in a place where it's like negative 50 right now because he was just like, fuck you yeah, it's the part where it's like the the visitors he insisted he was entitled to who could like bring him all of the equipment that he wanted. I'm just like, yeah, if you're annoying enough, you can really get a lot. <laughs> it's truly, truly wild. All right, I have a few more things. Okay. Uh, I too, like Lyra, would love to know more about she bears. That's the one thing we don't get in the Book of Dust is anything about Lady Armored Bears. I want badass Lady Armored Bears. Where are they? I want there just to be no distinction about the society of bears having, like, gender inequity, actually. I it's would, weird. Like, I mean, Philip Pullman has gone back and revised these books. And what if, you know, what if you just took out the whole thing about the pen for the she-bears and uh, mentioned change the name of one of the bears to something more feminine and we're, let us assume that they have a completely egalitarian society. Yeah, it like doesn't make sense that they don't. Right. Um. <laughs> so, do you know that meme where it's like, for whatever reason, making fun of like, oh, we saw you from across the bar, like dot, dot, mm-hmm. dot. And I feel like... Lord Azrael and Miss Coulter definitely have, like, people that, like, if you were in a three-way with them, would get you into the most ridiculous bullshit drama ever. But you're like, but I would still do it. 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> so yes, that that's it. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, they're having threesomes when they should be having couples therapy. <laughs> and then she, and then Miss Colt's gonna call the British theorem on you for like being a hedonist like K person. And this is like, wait, what? You were there. <laughs> you what? You were also here participating in this three way. Like, what is going on? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, she would. Oh, anyway, totally worth it. welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up okay hold on everyone there's a lot that is fucked up in this second half of this here book yeah uh where should we start I tried to put things in, like, ascending sadness, but I don't know that I succeeded. Um, I did already mention the dude at the fish house who's like, you have to pay for that fish. And I just really like that it says Lyra felt like telling her bear to kill him. And I just wrote in my little Kindle notes, same. Yeah, same. (laughs) Like, I am, in fact, doing you a huge solid by taking this child who you think is a ghost but has been terribly mutilated away from you so fuck off yeah, you should be giving me stuff because i am doing you this huge favor yeah um oh yeah all my things i think are maybe equally heavy so <laughs> i don't know where we should start just whatever you have first then Okay, so let's talk about all of the crimes against humanity that are happening at Bolvanga, where <sighs> so Lyra, so we learned that they're like. It's... Can I can I read the like the paragraph where we meet Tony? Yeah. Okay. The little boy was huddled against the wood drying rack, where hung rows upon rows of gutted fish, all as stiff as boards. He was clutching a piece of fish to him as Lyra was clutching Pantalaemon with her left hand hard against her heart. But that was all he had, a piece of dried fish, because he had no demon at all. The gobblers had cut it away. That was intercision. And this was a severed child. What? Like, what the fuck? It's fucking garbage. I get like, like body horror chills every single time I read it. And then we find out later when... Lyra's in the literal walls of Balvanger that before they figured out to just cut children apart, they were ripping them apart, which yeah. is, this is our, this is, this is already like call the Geneva convention. This is, this is a crime against you. This is a war crime. This is a crime against humanity. But this like, in this like, wh- what? I know. Yeah. And uh, Mrs. Coulter liked watching it happen. Um, Of course she did because she is, the worst. <laughs> I mean, and I think that she did that with with her demon, too. You know, that's why they can go so far apart from each other. So I think also she probably gets some sort of, I don't know, something from... Or I mean, maybe that's what inspired her to do it. If they succeeded in ripping kids away from their demons without killing them, then she was like, oh, maybe I can do that, too. Well, okay. So we have... So Lord Azrael is like... Miss Coulter is really well-traveled and she realized that there are places in the world where you can, there are techniques out there to separate a human from their demon and that person lives. And we'll get a little bit more into that, I think, in editorials about the whole zombie thing. But so what I think 
is that, so you have Miss Coulter, someone who I don't think likes her demon, has a lot of like religious trauma and has repressed a lot of things about herself, but that she can physically see and interact with, aka her demon. But she's not like the people that we see at Balvanger who we suss out to have been severed as adults. So I think what she did was probably, there must be other places in the world like where the witches go to separate themselves from their demons, where it does, it's just not as, it's not a medical, it doesn't give you like medical shock and like kill you. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. So yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think she did go through some kind of separation with her demon partly because of her own sort of self-hate and self-loathing between her and her inner self. Right. <laughs> Which is like, uh, ooh. I guess it's probably not very good therapy here, but like, I don't know if you had to murder children to deal with this. I think you could have done literally anything else. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and so I have a little more about this because I have the like paraphrasing line from uh, Azrael, where he's like the church. There's there was president because the church never minded a little bit of a little cut, and I just have yeah. like three vomit emojis next to that. Yeah, but uh, so I looked up about castrados, which were young boys who were castrated so that they wouldn't go through puberty the same and could still sing super high in church because. Mm-hmm. Women were not allowed to sing in church because the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And this also, it turns out, uh, was not super perfected. So it did, I think, kill also a lot of children. Huh. Or not a lot of children. The Wikipedia citation was a little bit vague. But it does sound like there. it wasn't, I guess, castrating a bull or a cow which is a thing people have been doing before modern medicine for a long time but actually something that would potentially kill you kill a small a small child you're doing this why would they not do it the same way um you know i don't know that seems so weird there's already a way to do that i mean not that it's okay to do in any case but it's like why are you trying to reinvent the wheel? It's such a weird thing to do. I mean, there's so many things that the Catholic Church has done to children. It's like, you could just have not done that. Yeah, for real. And I didn't do also a lot of other research because it was, because it seems like different for kids and adults. So you have the kids at Bolvanger. If you survived this, you, you know, weren't like these kids are like clearly some kind of like medical shock. You know, poor Tony is like, right, confused and bewildered and like latching onto anything that like even vaguely resembles a demon, which is like the saddest thing. But the adults at Bullfanger, the ones where Lyra's like they were curiously blank, seemed more like they'd had a lobotomy. Yeah. Which um, for the listeners, for folks that don't know, it basically a lobotomy was basically a variety of different ways of basically severing the prefrontal cortex from the rest of the brain and that's the like personality memory executive function decision making like the intellect personality part of you essentially and it's like okay cool so you're just you feel bullvinging with the people who have been lobotomized because that's i guess what happens if you sever an adult without doing whatever the thing that the witches do you know yeah and it's just like fine that's 
and I'm just like, this is just all kinds of terrible things <laughs> rolled into one. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, heaven forbid that people grow up and learn about like sex and become teenagers and are just all this said about original sin, blah, blah. Yeah. The conversation that Lyra overhears where they're talking about ripping the kids' demons away and these fuckers have the audacity to be like, remember how upsetting it was for the for the adults? We had to let several people go for stress-related illness. Actually, like, I mean, that line is doing its job is what I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like... Yeah, people who have actual empathy are going to be stressed out watching you torture, like medically torture children. (laughs) And y'all are just like, no, we're fine. It's like, oh. mm." And the fact that they, these people who are talking like that, think that Mrs. Coulter's interest in what they're doing is ghoulish is like, how fucked up is is she? Oh my God. She's like, Really, like, next-level villain, I think, is Miss Coulter. Um, yeah. And, yes, and I also feel like, I don't know, the more that America sinks into uh, fundamentalist Christian-driven fascism, I'm like, more relatable as the day. Not relatable, but more just like, oh. Mm. Yeah. Like, you really wanted a little bit of power this much. Yep yeah it's rough yeah uh we have our first instance of someone grabbing pan a human a person which is very visceral very very intense thing to read it's very uh it's like very thinly sexual assault coded like just like the the thinnest like this is for children so we're not Going to say that it's sexual assault, but it's sexual assault. It reminded me so much. And I think partly because of like it being in a medical setting and partly because of the sort of like internal feeling that that Lyra describes the thing that it reminded me of more than anything is getting an IUD. (laughs) Because it's like anyone considering having an IUD read a lot and find someone who will put you under anesthesia because it's like not not a big deal like all doctors want you to think it is but it like triggers a vagal nerve response so like it it just like and your vagus nerve like runs if you have a cervix basically like from your cervix to your brain and like up your entire body and I don't know it's like the the way that reading her go through that felt felt like that particular physical sensation in addition to also obviously feeling like a thinly veiled description of sexual assault yeah hey fun fact uh the reason that anesthesia is not used for iud insertion is because of racism um so just just your every just your today's reminder that racism hurts us all literally it is so wild i mean like i had it done at planned parenthood where they're like way more good than a lot of other places and they still were like 
it'll feel like a little pinch. And like, I almost fainted. I have a great pain tolerance. It's the fucking worst. It's so awful. And I've never met anyone who isn't like, it was terrible. Um, anyway, this is not the point, but yes. Yeah. Um, I think also along these lines where I think it's maybe early in the book when we are learning about the, the deep taboo of demon touching. And there's, I think a line from Lyra where it's like, even in like combat enemies wouldn't touch each other's demons. And I'm like, if you know, and this is, I mean, Lyra does not know world history because Lyra has the patchiest homeschool education <laughs> ever. But I'm like, if you know a little bit about, or a lot of bit about world history, you're like, Oh, that is definitely not fucking true. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, Agreed. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that this is a thing that people do. I think that the fact that it feels like it's most akin to sexual assault probably does narrow the like circumstances in which it's done. So like maybe not on a battlefield, but maybe like after you've won the battle, you know? Yeah. Like it's maybe done more as like a thing that people are doing as like torture or like control than like, I'm going to win this fight. Yeah, definitely. Especially because like your demons are usually fighting each other too. And I assume that people with squishable demons just like aren't conscripted to go to war. Right. Or if it is, you're just like that fucking. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, if it, if it can be in your pocket or something, I guess the other person's demon just can't attack your demon, but whatever. That's not the point. Yeah. Um, vaguely speaking of this, I'm so, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot with media lately is like why people who are hired to do fighty things like these tar, uh, tar, tartars, 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 sure. Um, why they're willing to die for this because they don't care. They're just getting paid. And at the point where it's like a fucking armored bear is very clearly going to kill you and witches are firing arrows at you. Why would you not just leave? I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's the assumption that's like, oh, I've been in worse. Even now I would be like, guess I'm just going to die by being eaten by an armored bear because it <laughs> seems like. Yeah, but like. Eating someone who's running away, I'm sure, is not an honorable thing to do. I think that Yorick would have let them go. That's true. Yeah. So just you just leave. You've got no skin in this game. You've already been paid. It's not like you think severing kids is like a good and moral thing to do. Just go. What the fuck? Who cares? <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, maybe they don't get paid if they like show up and it's like, well, the battle was lost. Um, but I'm, the building I'm is burned down. They're not getting paid any more than they have already been paid. <laughs> the, That's it's true. Over now. I don't. I don't know. I really it's don't. So know. weird to me. I don't know. I think it's because I've been watching a lot of Star Wars, and I'm just like, what are these stormtroopers doing? Like, they don't care. They're just. This is just their job. Why are you willing to die for this? Someone's shooting at you. Run. Hide. Who cares? I would clearly be a very terrible hired like protect her <laughs> you would i would you would just leave yeah definitely not the uh not where i would not where i would go to get paid no. either i'm like i'd be very bad at this job what else do you have here 
Um, actually, those were my only few things. All right, I have two more things that should be pretty brief. One, I really like that both of Lyra's parents are confronted with this sort of like face the truth moment where their child is going to be potentially subjected to the thing that they've been telling themselves is this incredibly moral act. Yeah. And that's very good. Um, And then just the fact that obviously, you know, the dust controlling the alethiometer and I think also Serafina know that Roger is going to die for this... Greater purpose. Greater purpose and are like... It's just what has to happen. And that feels very intense to me. It's very shitty. And it's just, it's so, it's so sad for Roger where Lyra's like, do we check the lithiometer? And he's like, everything that has happened so far since I got kidnapped from Oxford has fucking sucked. I'm not thinking any more than like five minutes ahead. And then I don't want to know. And I'm like, honestly, that's probably for the best considering what happens yeah, and he's like, I am more afraid of your dad right now than I have ever been afraid of anything. And I've been in hell for the last, like, two months. I do not want to know what that man is about to do to me. And you're like, you're so wise and tragic. Yeah, I know. Poor Roger. Poor Roger. Azrael's really lucky that we only read the first half of this book uh, for the last episode because he would not have been uh, as able to get... <laughs> my affection if we'd read the whole thing through not that i didn't know what he does in the second half of the book but like he really doesn't leave this book with his best face forward yeah definitely he definitely has many faces and i think the end of this book is definitely like quote-unquote mad scientist where it's just like you was this really the only way i think you could have figured something else out yeah you're a brilliant scientist you do do something else Sacrifice your manservant. Sorry, Thorold, but you're old. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I think it has to be a kid, but I don't really understand why. Uh, Yeah, I think it's something about all of the the energy that is released when you... But, like, why would that not happen when you severed an adult? I don't don't know. know. You're, like, sacrificing their potential or something like that. Who knows? Welcome to Community Profiles, where we talk about characters. Um, So this read-through, every single thing that Yorick says, all I can think about is how much he sounds like Worf from Star (laughs) Trek. (laughs) And now I'm like, armored bears are Klingons. You can't change my mind. No, that is such a good analogy because they essentially are or Klingons are space armored bears anyway yeah a lot about armor and going to war and taking insults probably far too personally (laughs) yeah and it's like Yorick especially because you know like for the listener who's not watched the next generation Worf is a Klingon who has been raised away from Klingons, but his adoptive human parents were very intentional about making sure that he was like immersed in Klingon culture. And so he learned about Klingons, I think, from a very 
like purist, you know, like like from their texts as opposed to from their society. Um, but it's, that sounds very well-meaning white person. Like, all right, well, we adopted this Klingon child, so now we're going to go to like the Klingon cultural events, and it's going to be very traditional. It's like, <laughs> like so he he has this sort of like this is what I know of Klingon culture is like, it's about honor. It's about, you know, doing things in these very specific ways. And then we meet the other Klingons and they're kind of like, yeah, but also like politics and like fuckery and whatever. And Worf is like, what the fuck? Like all of, all of Klingon culture is now no longer Klingon enough. And that feels a lot like Yorick, who's like, these bears are without honor, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I actually, yeah. I was doing a lot of thinking about sort of, I mean, we have this difference between Yurik and Yofer. And obviously there are some things where it's clearly, you read a book about humans, but you you didn't totally think about how to integrate that more naturally into what bears are because he's a (laughs) self-hating, he's a self-hating bear. Um... But it's also like there is some progression and things that could be learned from humans that the bears don't have to totally throw out, um, especially because Yurik loves people. He's adopted not only one human, but two. I mean, like Lee Scoresby and Lyra are like his people. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I think kind of in the way that like people have a like. Like, who rescued who? Magnets in their car yeah, about yeah, yeah. rescuing animals. That's sort of how I feel about <laughs> your relationship with both Lee and Lyra. It's like, I found this really spicy kitten behind a dumpster, and then it saved me from, like, carbon monoxide poisoning, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think that makes sense. And it makes sense because, yeah, because bears have this idea of people just like people have this idea of bears as we learn from the scholars in the beginning of the book and then Yorick meets these two people who sort of uh disprove everything that he came to expect of people and that was i think proved by all of the people of trollison too um yeah so it's like well you have honor you know mm-hmm. you can you can be an honorary bear because you have honor you're not like <laughs> the rest of those people I really love the part where he yells at the Egyptians when they sort of like freak out about Tony Mercarios. And he's like, shame on you. Think what this child has done. You might not have more courage, but you should be ashamed to show less. And they're all like, oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like way to be shamed by an armored bear about having less empathy than a, like a, than a kind of sheltered 11 year old. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, really, Yurik and Lyra's relationship is very just, like, heart eyes all around. I love it so much. And, yeah, and then, and I'm so glad that Lyra is even like, hey, you know who's a better dad than you, fucking Lord Azrael? A literal bear. Yeah. (laughs) A literal armored bear (laughs) who's, like, currently probably eating the heart of some poor (laughs) Zeppelin (laughs) Manisterium dude. It's a better dad than you are. Yep. And she's right, because he is. <laughs> Completely correct, <So> yeah. <sighs> Yark is awesome, and I love him. <laughs> I want him to be my dad. <laughs> yeah, for real. <sighs>
Do you want to talk about Lee? Yeah, let's talk about Lee. I love him so much. Uh, Also, an amazing dad. Not really dad yet. He'll be more dad in the next book. But even so, just... I don't know if I want... Let, okay, we're talking about dads, so let's talk about his interactions with Lyra first, and then we can back up to our intro to him. But I just love that he... I think he's the first person in the book that we really see just talk to Lyra like she's a person. Yeah. He's just answering her questions, and he's answering them honestly and sort of not without concern for her age and comprehension, but... With less padding, I think, you know, with with maybe uh, an expectation of what her ability to take in information is that's closer to her actual experience than other people want to be true. Yeah. Did that make sense? It, it, no, it does. Okay. And I, I want to add to that. I think he's the first person also to just have a sort of I see you as a, like, competent person, you know? Considering that he is the one through Hesta who is like, hey, I'll distract the Gypsons if you want to help out my pal Yurik get his armor back. Yeah. You know, which is not a task that, say, Fodder Corum would have put to Lyra. Even if he thinks that she is, she could competently do that, he just doesn't want to put her in harm's way. Right. And Lee is like... No, I think you got this. (laughs) Right. Like his sort of instant judge of her character is just very refreshing because I think, and especially for a young person, nothing is more important than to have an adult be like, all right, well, I'm not going to try to condescend to you or try to treat you with like kid gloves. Right. I'm just going to be like, I see where you're at and I'm going to talk to you and speak to you like we're on a similar level. Yeah. And, like, you're competent and capable. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. When I did that episode with her Dark Materials about the alethiometer and tarot, one of the questions that they had asked was, like, what tarot cards different characters were represented by. And I talked about it through the lens of sort of Lyra as the fool. So what are the other characters showing up as in her hero's journey? And I think that Lee is the nurturer, the empress, for folks not using my tarot deck. (laughs) Because I feel like that's the vibe that he's bringing is this one that's very... The way that he respects her feels like it would be incredibly good for her soul and her confidence. And then also there's his whole thing about all I want is to buy a piece of land and sit on my porch and watch the sunset. I'm like, yeah, that is big nurture. (laughs) Yeah, I do also want to point out that I think that I guess besides the dude that had a seagull demon, I think this is one of the first adult men that we see that doesn't have some kind of predator or apex predator as their demon. Hmm. Yeah. What is John Foz demon? It's a crow or a raven or something. Uh it's a crow. The master the master of Jordan College is a raven. And yeah. I mean both ravens and crows are omnivores. Yeah. But I mean I mean ravens hunt and eat meat and actually I think I don't know what I don't know if crows hunt. I mean crows eat whatever cuz 
they're smart enough to eat whatever they want to. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's a really good observation. And I love Hester. She might be my favorite demon. She's so great. So, yeah. And I also just love for us to have this right now sort of in this book, this like fantasy adventure. And then smack dab in the middle of it is not quite an American cowboy because he's not a cowboy. He's an aeronaut. He has his balloon. But like essentially an American cowboy in the middle of it. And he's like one of the tenderest dudes here. Yeah. 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 It's really good. Oh, I love him. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad that I know so little about pop culture at any given time and that I was able to read these books with no knowledge that the movie even existed. So I never had the old dude as my mental idea of Lee because he's totally not described as being old. Like I think Lee's 45 at most. Yeah. 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 Like he's not, he doesn't have gray hair. He's not an old dude. Yeah. And I think it changes. Like if you're thinking of him as having grandpa vibes, the way that he interacts with Lyra, I think is fundamentally really different than if he's, you know, in his 30s or something middle-aged yeah 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 i think that i have i think the moving casting was never really quite my mental image of him it's always just been like someone much younger yeah and i when you and i were texting about the casting of lee in the tv series and like having lin-manuel miranda cast I was just like really thinking about it because I was also listening to her dark materials and them talking about, you know, having the dude from the movie in their heads and whatever. And I was like, I would, I personally would cast Will Smith to play Lee Scoresby because I think his vibe is perfect. Yeah. Will Smith would be, would be a really good Lee Scoresby for sure. And I just feel like in terms of, in terms of physicality, I think the like lanky, sinewy sort of like the way that he moves sounds a little bit like he's maybe like a marionette, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like that's the most important thing about his physicality. And that just for whatever reason, in my mind, I'm like that Will Smith would just do that so perfectly. Yeah, I feel like Will Smith or David Tennant, <laughs> who is not an American, <laughs> but uh He's that dude is just just legs. I feel like. that's that's very true. That's very true. He f- maybe feels a little too like bouncy, but also mm. that's how he plays the doctor, and maybe not the only way that he can play things. So, okay, fun talk. Thanks for going on that tangent with me. Should we talk about Serafina Pecola? We sure we sure can. Um, so we have Serafina Pecola, who hilariously we don't meet her in person we meet her demon kaiza first (laughs) the first first part of this book and then like meet her well like five chapters from the end of this book yeah um but she's great she's our second major lady main character that we get in kind of this trilogy as a whole but definitely in this book and she is a witch and we learn a lot about witches from her and yeah I also am just like, in the same way that I feel bad for IRL heterosexual ladies whenever it's like, oh man, my boyfriend is a acts like a child 
and I don't know how to deal with this. And I'm like, oh, that's rough. I feel that way a little bit about Serafina Pecola being like, we just love dudes. And the May are like mayflies compared to our hundreds to maybe a thousand year lifespan. I'm like, oh, heterosexuality. Yeah. <laughs> Have you tried not doing that? <laughs> I mean, I assume that they're not all straight. I mean, I assume that not probably none of them are straight, you know? Yeah. I'm assuming if you're a queer, if you're a lady loving witch, you have it. You're like, cool. I don't, I don't have to worry about someone dying after 60 years. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> We do get this very, like, Arwen sort of speech from her where she's like, I would have given it up and become a boat wife, only, thank God, she has the presence of mind to be like, I can't not be a witch. In fact, I'm not going to, to yeah. do and, this tragic thing. Yeah, and also I'm actually a queen and I have to be in charge of my clan, so I'm, I have to bounce, it turns yeah. out. So, yeah. Which sucks for her. <laughs> like, I really, I, I do genuinely feel that. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. rough. But she's pretty cool because witches are fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't happen in this book, but she is one of Lyra's two acquired moms. Like, by the end of this series, Lyra just has so many wonderful parents. And it's I, lovely. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not all... They're not all with us at the end of the series, but yeah. along the way, she has she has acquired many wonderful parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Whatever sort of magnetism gets people to both Lord Azrael and Miss Coulter's side is definitely a life in Lyra, where people are just like, "Well, I'm just have to die for you now." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <sighs> uh, yeah. Um, do you have any, what else do you have about Seraphina Pecolo? That's all. Um, her demon is rad. Also can do magic. That's also cool. Oh yeah. So cool. Snow magic. Not the magic I would choose, but still cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Gaily Planet. Check the show notes for all of the things and until next time. Thank you.